Chapter Six of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Ruhi Huck. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Henry de la Pasture. Chapter Six The Nurseries if glory leads the way you'll be madly rushing on never thinking if they kill you that my happiness is gone god has been very good to me wrote louis from durban in the first letter jean received from him concerning the somaliland campaign why should this good luck come to me when every fellow out here would give anything to go we ought to reach obia in about ten days the general impression here seems to be that it will be only a preliminary campaign to make ready for larger operations next cold weather it won't delay my return home for very long so make the best of it my darling little genie my best chum is so disgusted with what he calls my everlasting luck that he won't speak to me it's all the harder for him poor old fellow because he applied and i didn't not dreaming i should have the ghost of a chance i walked into a photographer and had my old fizz done to please you that is so like louis to try to make it up to me some other way thought jean and there is another thing i hate writing about but i must and you would rather i did so here goes in case anything happens to me write at once to my bankers they have my will and life assurance policy i forget if i told you i managed to insure my life when i first joined it is for one thousand pounds which will easily clear my debts buy a good horse for uncle roberts and leave something over for you also they have a letter for you which i wrote a long time ago but i hope that you may never have to apply for the same my genie dear but that i shall soon be home and throw it into the fire and laugh over it and tell you the contents by word of mouth the only thing i feel guilty towards you is in starting for somaliland when i was due and had promised to come home these are the occasions when you wish i was not a soldier no never said jean but they are the only occasions on which a soldier has a chance of showing what he is worth if indeed he is worth anything and anyway i shall be two thousand miles nearer to you jean received this letter in the middle of january and she perceived by the date that it was written some time before the news of his inheritance had reached louis it roused her from her depression and awoke renewed pride in her brother's success where others had failed you see they always pick him out it just shows what they must think of him she said to dunham with melancholy exultation it does indeed ma'am but if i was him i must say i should have stood firm and refused to go with all this business waiting to be settled and mr valentine able to do next to nothing till he comes home he did not know all that when he wrote besides it would be dishonour to refuse to go on active service said jean with reddening cheeks how can you think it possible mrs dunham well ma'am a gentleman with his fortune has something better to do than go prancing over the desert looking for naked savages in my opinion said dunham firmly let others go as has their bread to earn and don't care how they does it but for a gentleman who will have thousands a year to spend as he likes i calls it tempting providence 
I'm afraid it is, said simple Jean, but you don't understand. Louis is a soldier. It is in his blood. He must go, while there is any fighting left to be done. It would break his heart to stay behind, though I am sure it breaks mine that he should run more risks. But he is always lucky. Somehow it gives me confidence to remember how he went through all those dreadful battles in South Africa and never was touched. And he says this will be only a short expedition. People used to say that about South Africa, ma'am. Well, I remember Hewitt telling us it would all be over in three months, said Dunham gloomily. But he was wrong, as he nearly always is, though never owning it. Still, perhaps, as my brother says, he will probably not be long. I might get his room ready all the same. It is his right to have the best room in the house. He's the master now, said Dunham, but her voice trembled. Oh, Mrs. Dunham, you do not think I would take Auntie Caroline's room, said Jean, sincerely shocked. Why not? Mm, she won't never want it no more. Tis my belief she'd have wished it, though now that velvet pile carpet will stand cigarette ash. I can't tell. I remember his poor father used to drop it about long ago. Did he indeed? But Louis does not smoke. That's not likely by this time, ma'am, whatever he may have done when he left home, said Dunham in a pitying voice, as though she thought cigarette smoking must be hereditary. No, I assure you, he is not a smoker. He would have told me if he had become one. Gentlemen, don't tell their sisters everything, ma'am, if you'll excuse me, said Dunham. Jean gave up the attempt to convince the old woman that Louise was the brilliant exception who proved this rule. But about the room she remained firm. Louise must not take Aunt Caroline's room. He would not like it at all. He was not used to a large room and would think it too luxurious for a soldier. Then if Pike and me is to have the best bedroom floor all to ourselves, said Dunham severely, which I can't think becoming in but far be it from me to say so then there's nothing left but the nurseries what have never been used since we came here jean mounted the echoing stone staircase almost eagerly to explore the upper floor in company with her conductress the stairs are very steep she said pausing before the little white gate at the top in order to allow mrs dunham to recover breath i suppose long ago when the house was built they put this gate here to prevent the children falling down the stairs. They put it up too late, by all accounts, Miss Jane, said Dunham. This house belonged to poor Miss Marney's cousin, the late Duke of Monaghan. She bought it from him over twenty years ago, and they put up the gate after the little heir fell down this flight of stairs and was carried into her grace's room for dead. Was he killed? said Jean, horrified. Crippled for life, ma'am they sold the house in consequence they say her grace vowed she would never set foot in it again she never came near your poor auntie but the duke called on her twice before he died said dunham rather proudly and by all accounts she lost very little by not seeing the duchess for no one has a good word for her they say she led the poor duke a terrible life with her temper and all jean looked pitifully at the scene of this long past catastrophe she pictured the little heir running gaily forth from his nursery for the last time the fall the cry the silence and the horrified nurse lifting a little crushed figure 
this part of the house has not been touched ma'am since miss marney came here it had all been done up fresh when the poor duke succeeded only a year or two before the accident miss marney had no use for this floor so she left it alone and only decorated the rooms she occupied she never came up here the stairs being so steep and her heart weak there's two very nice-sized bedrooms ma'am beyond this said dunham jeanne walked through the empty and silent nursery softly and on tiptoe they seemed haunted by the ghosts of the children who had played there and who must have climbed on to chairs and tables when they wanted to look out of the high-barred windows the walls were still covered with a faded paper of pictured nursery rhymes we will leave these rooms just as they are she said but oh mrs dunham if you think i might i would so much rather come upstairs to one of these large empty bedrooms and have the one next to mine made ready for him it would seem almost like company to know he was coming and besides i think surely the maids must be sleeping on this floor just beyond the baize door i am very often frightened at night mrs dunham all alone among the empty drawing-rooms if you won't think it foolish of me to say so and i hear such odd noises i sometimes feel as though the mahogany wardrobe must be walking about it creaks so dreadfully why didn't you say so before ma'am said dunham astonished tis for you to give the orders your things shall be moved this very day and the head housemaid shall sleep in a little room close by within call as ought to be mine only my poor lady would have me next door to her to be sure i might have thought you would be nervous oh thank you mrs dunham said the poor little lonely lady gratefully for she was indeed unable to realize that it was she after all and not dunham who was mistress of the house her conscience pricked her nevertheless for the opportunities she made to ask dunham's advice or exchange a word or two with her what would aunt caroline think of me she reflected in dismay now and then she said one must never talk to the servants that is what it is to be what poor old granny morgan used to say louise and i were neither fish flesh nor fowl nor good red herring at home i wickedly look down on uncle roberts and think myself more refined than he and that a farmhouse is no place for a de corset when i am here it is the farm which seems the most natural and i feel like a doll stuck up and doing nothing quite out of place and would be glad if the youngest housemaid the pretty one with red hair might come and talk to me she looks far more cheerful than mrs dunham surely aunt caroline would not have called mrs dunham exactly a servant after they had lived so many years together she must have earned the right to be more of a friend and if i talked to nobody i believe it would end in my going mad i used to enjoy my meals but now i would almost rather go without them than be waited on in solemn silence by hewitt and william a worse penance than those solitary repasts was the daily drive which dunham hinted that it behoved a lady however lonely to indulge jean dared not refuse for she was penetrated by an honest anxiety to carry out the wishes of her late aunt and to prove herself a worthy representative of the family she learned from dunham the daily routine of miss marney's life in london during the past twenty years and endeavoured as faithfully as possible to pursue the same programme but she was buoyed up by a secret hope that when louise came home he would discover a less irksome regime to be equally suitable to her exalted position 
Thus she walked with Dunham every morning at noon, down Upper Grosvenor Street and into the park, that the toy Yorkshire Terrier might be carefully exercised in a leading string, and back again through Upper Brook Street and so home. Jean might have enjoyed these expeditions had the weather been less cold, and had Dunham and the dog been able to walk a little faster, but the mincing steps of the aged maid were carefully timed to accord with the slow waddle of the obese lapdog. Dunham, gathering her rustling silk skirts in a bunch before her, held them up to display her old-fashioned elastic-sided boots, and picked her way nervously over the crossings, of which she had never been able to lose her rustic dread, whilst Jean, in a little black cloth jacket, suited rather to the warm west country, and to her accustomed energetic tramping over hill and dale, than to the London east winds, shivered and dawdled by her side but it occurred neither to her nor to dunham to take miss marney's sables and sealskins out of their camphorated wrappings and make use of them they were preserved and tended as jealously as though dunham expected their late owner to return at any moment and demand them at her hands the drive was always taken in the immense double brougham for it was miss marney's rule to have the close carriage out in winter and the open carriage in summer and buckham the coachman had no notion of making changes at this time of life he was so ponderous and infirm that he had to be assisted on to the box but once safely seated there he drove carefully and well william the irish footman sat beside him and they apparently decided together where the drive should be taken and how long it should last william's unfortunate low comedy face and his involuntary but perpetual smile as he daily touched his hat and waited for orders at the carriage door caused the lonely lady quite unjustly to suspect him of laughing at her in his sleeve and the very suspicion doubled her nervousness every afternoon she stammered please go nowhere in particular just drive about and every afternoon having thus uttered she beat her brains for a more dignified and sensible reply one day it occurred to her to inquire of dunham why a stout red volume of addresses was always carefully handed into the carriage with the rug it's the red book ma'am said dunham rather shocked at this new display of ignorance i see it is a red book said jean meekly but why must i take it out driving why though your poor auntie had given up paying visits for some time before she died yet in case she had felt inclined to do so of course she wanted the red book handy to look up where the people lived i see said jean but she understood nothing there used to be a lot of cards left here when we first came said dunham nodding sadly towards the bowl of hoarded dingy pasteboards which decorated the table in the hall did aunt caroline know so many people when first she came to london she knew very few people but she paid a lot of calls on people whom you might have thought would be glad enough to know her seeing she was related by blood though rather distant to be sure to a many of them she tried to distract herself after her poor brother's death by making new acquaintances poor dear which she never could have done in his lifetime for he couldn't abide visitors though to be sure he grudged her nothing else and she always had her clothes from elise and worth in all the grand places though it often seemed a pity like with no one to see them but she liked to keep up a proper dignity miss jane as a lady in her position ought yes said jean and her heart sank but there all her efforts came to nothing she was too old-fashioned to take the new faces 
or new ways and londoners was too free and easy for her as had been all her life miss marney of orset and accustomed to take the lead and be deferred to she just quarrelled with one after the other and that's about all it came to and nobody comes to look for you in london miss jade be who you may that is very true and jean sighed in sympathy you can be more solitary here than ever you could in the depths of the country said dunham shaking her head whereat the least the passers-by will give you good day so for the last ten or fifteen years we've been satisfied to keep ourselves to ourselves willy-nilly as a body might say but it's different with you missy you're young and have your life before you it's not for me to advise you ma'am but i would make friends while i was young in your place and not leave it till it's too late miss jane that is just what my aunt said to me that i should have plenty of visits to make later on thought jean and she recalled her aunt's injunctions to be exclusive i must be very careful whom i make friends with however she thought anxiously it seemed to her that all london lay open to her choice and the only question was where to begin it would have been hard to fathom the depths of jean's social ignorance she consulted dunham no further but thought out the question of calls and callers for herself in the light of the foregoing hints and of her lively recollections of the visiting code of the rector's wife at coeditel she said she never lost a moment calling on new neighbours thought jean she said it was the duty of the residents i wonder why nobody has called on me perhaps they think it's too soon after poor aunt caroline's death or perhaps they do not realise that any one is living here and think i am just the companion or somebody of that kind waiting till the owner comes home but i am the lady of the house really i suppose it is my duty as dunham says to make a few friends but it is very hard to know where to begin she turned over the pages of the red book helplessly the day after the first sunday they came to church she always went said jean i remember that because i asked her once why she waited till then as one was not to lose a moment in welcoming them and she said only to give them time to settle down well i suppose it must be the people living in the same square who are my neighbours anyway they are the nearest the first time i see an arrival of a new family here put in the paper i will make a start she resolved she scanned the advertisements in the fashionable column of the morning post very regularly for some days after making this resolution and her scrutiny was presently rewarded by the announcement that mr and the honourable mrs weller had arrived at one twenty nine grosvenor square this was on a friday jean considerably allowed the proper interval to elapse and on monday afternoon when starting for a drive she delivered an order to the astonished william which he had to repeat twice to buckham on the box before the coachman could believe his ears please drive me to one twenty nine grosvenor square i am going to pay a visit said the lonely lady in a determined but shaking voice End of chapter six